All right, you guys can uh, have a seat. Well, welcome to Mercy Fellowship. Um, it's Father's Day. It's also Juneteenth. Uh, you know, Juneteenth is probably a little bit more biblical of a holiday because uh, it celebrates the end of slavery. And constantly in the Bible, you see God calling his people to celebrate the end of slavery. The Jews were slaves in Egypt. And uh, he even gave him, when he said, I, I give you the Sabbath to remind you you're no longer slaves. Um, and then that physical slavery is a, an amazing parallel to what our slavery is to sin, right? So Juneteenth is actually probably way more biblical than Father's Day. Uh, fathers, you know, the Bible is pretty clear that um, the men in the story are not the heroes, um, but God is. So, um, but we still recognize that, um, that we love fathers. They're worth dignity and respect as human beings, as all of us are. And so, you know, we celebrate. So uh, today, uh, we are going to be getting into um, our third sermon in the Upside Down Kingdom. And um, I've titled this, Only the Blind See. You know, so it kind of doesn't make any sense at all, right? Like, if you're blind, you don't see. So, uh, and oddly enough, nowhere in this passage does it talk about blind people. So, that's, uh, it's because I'm trying to figure out how I tie all that together. But as I get started this morning, uh, I wanted to tell you guys a little story. Uh, and um, I just want to tell you that my wife might be the bravest person I know. And uh, so a little, little brag story on my wife. Uh, so we have this little 1920s dairy farm. Uh, in Arlington that we, we own. It's an old barn. Uh, we don't have any dairy cows, but we have a few horses. And recently we've decided that we want to get into the cattle business, right? So we, wanna, uh, we want to breed cattle and sell them. So we have a couple little miniature uh, cows, which are the cutest things in the world. I mean, these are like little tiny, you know, some of you guys have dogs that are probably bigger than our cows, right? They're just, they're mini cows and people love them. And so in order to breed cows, you need to get a bull. So uh, we talked about it. Yeah, yeah, we're going to get a bull. And we found this really beautiful bull online. You know, his, his profile was great. He likes long walks on the beach. And we thought this is going to be perfect for our, our cows. So uh, Rachel goes, purchases said cow, and, and brings it home. Well, um, the, this bull is um, a quite a large animal. It turns out once you kind of see them next to the smaller cows, you realize this cow, this bull is way too big for our little cows. But uh, we have highland cows. If you know what a highland cow is, think Scottish, um, big furry, right? This guy was a beast, and he had these giant horns like, like this, and, and sharp horns. And we thought, you know what we're going to do? We're just going to like love on this animal. We're going to just make good friends with this animal, and it's just going to be you know, kind of a family pet. People can come over and pet him and like amaze at how beautiful this animal is. And um, what we didn't know is that Highland bulls are considered some of the most aggressive bulls around. And we found this, uh, we found this out firsthand. So we, we get the bull to the house and we get him into um, kind of a, a a fenced-in area, and we have done wild mustangs. So we have these six-foot metal fencing that can keep in a wild horse. So we think this is the perfect spot to put this bull that's not doesn't trust us. It's got these big horns, 
And uh, so we're thinking, okay, we got this. We've got to figure this out. I mean, we're rookies to the, the cow business, but we can handle this. Um, so a couple days later, my daughter, Junie, is in her room. She looks out the window, and she sees that the bull is no longer in the pen, in the pen and is, like, grazing in our front yard, right? So she hollers to Rachel, and uh, Rachel looks out and sees that our gate to the outdoors is open, right? So if you're a wild bull and there's like big trucks that go down, like this bull could, you know, get out and become hamburger real quick, right? So she's like, oh no, we gotta, we gotta respond. We gotta figure this out. So she comes down and uh, me being the good father was not at home. Um, I was actually here at church doing youth group stuff. And so she's got to kind of figure this all out by herself. So she comes out. She's like, okay, I got it. First thing I need to do is shut the gate so the bull doesn't get out. And then we'll try to figure out how we're going to get this bull back in. Not, not a friendly bull at this point. We don't know how friendly or not friendly, but not friendly so far. So she goes and she runs and shuts the gate. Well, in the process of shutting the gate, the, the fences clink and stuff. And so our dog thinks, oh, somebody's here. So it comes running out, starts barking, realizes the bull's out, goes to, to bark at the bull. Now all of a sudden the bull is aware that there's a dog barking and looks up and sees Rachel at the gate and thinks, I should kill that thing. So the bull starts running at Rachel, and with his horns, I've never seen cows do this before, but like, I don't, I'm a rookie, right? He's flailing his horns at her. He's not just like charging. He's like, I'm going to get you. I'm going to get you anywhere, right? And he's like, just doing this and running at her. So she books it to the front porch, and this bull chases her all the way up on the front porch, and she goes back inside and like locks herself in the horse, and the the bull's sitting like right by our front porch, and she's like, what am I going to do? Well, Rachel, being the horse person she is, she's like, you know what? I know animals. I know how to do this. We're gonna, I'm going to put on my boots, because she you know, was probably a barefoot at this point, right? She's going to put on her boots and uh, make sure she's got some like farm clothes on, and she's going to go get some grain. Because everybody knows a horse will come to grain, and uh, you know, as long as you're offering him food, usually you, know, you can get him to do pretty much whatever. So smart. She goes and gets some grain, and she comes out and starts shaking the grain at him. So the, the bull starts coming, and she's like, okay, this is working, this is working. Kind of getting closer and closer to the fence. All of a sudden, the bull realizes that there's no fence between Rachel and her, and, and the bull. So the bull's like, oh, you have the grain. I know what I'll do. I'll, I'll gore you, and then I can get the grain. So the, the bull just starts charging at her. And so Rachel has to sprint. She, like, throws the grain kind of in the pen, and she has to, like, climb over the fence while these— while the bull is like trying to get her with, with her horns. This is like a you know, thousand pound beast. And she finally gets over the fence and, the, and uh, the grain is in the pen where he needs to go. And he kind of wanders in, starts eating the grain. So Rachel's like, okay, good, we got this, right? So all I have to do is shut the door of the gate, the gate in there and we're good. So he, she goes over there, she kind of quietly comes and goes over the gate. All of a sudden the bull notices that she's going to get the gate, leaves the grain, and is like, this is my last chance, I think I can get her now. And so she has to slam that metal gate as fast as she can and kind of hold it and, and, and fix it before that, those horns come out and get her. And she like just barely, like, barely escapes. And no sooner does she get the bull in, and I come pulling in the driveway, right? Like, hey, what's going on here? She's like, that bull tried to kill me, not once, but three times. And I was like, oh, good. You know, me just kind of oblivious, like, oh, yeah, right, you know. What do you do? Like, look at you. You know, I'm, I'm totally not realizing the gravity of the situation. Well, long story short, this bull proceeded to get out every single day. And what it would do is it would take its horns, 
go underneath the metal panel and just with his head go like this. And all, I think there's like eight of them, all the panels lifted up together. And he would just walk out and it would fall behind. So we'd come back and the, and the panels would all be like, you know, like this. And we're like, what the heck is going on? Um, but Rachel got a lot smarter. Uh, maybe smarter is not the right way. She, got, she learned from her first experience. So she got into the Subaru and she started chasing the bull around with the Subaru, honking the horn. And that seemed to be a much more efficient way to round up the bull. Uh, needless to say, the bull went to auction that week, and we have not seen said bull ever again. Um, but what it made me think of, so this is kind of a, a weird, funny tie-in, but there's actually laws in the Old Testament about what happens if a ox gores a person, right? And you, you and I probably have ever read it. We thought, okay, what, what does that apply with me today? I was like, you know what? I think this applies. Let me, I'm going to read this to you guys. I'm going to bring some light to Scripture that you've never thought of before. Exodus 21, 28 through 30, it says, when an ox gores a man or woman to death, so ox being a cow, could be a male or female, highland cows, both the female and the male have horns, so, but it's a cow, um, the ox shall be stoned, and I was just thinking to myself, like, is that because no one wants to get close to the ox, right, they're just like, we're going to throw rocks at it, right, like, anyway, um, and its flesh shall not be eaten, but the owner of the ox shall not be liable, so, Ox did the problem, did the, did the killing, you know, it's okay. But, verse 29, if the ox has been accustomed to gore in the past, I just love that. Like, oh, you know, you know the, the bulls that are accustomed to doing this, this kind of happens all the time, right? Like, this, that's what I think what this bull was. Like, the person who sold us this bull kind of knew. Like, this is, anyway. Its owner, um, and its owner has been warned, but has not kept it in, and it kills a man or woman, the ox shall be stoned, and its owner shall also be put to death. Isn't that crazy? Isn't that a crazy thing? But if you think about it, it's this idea of like negligence, right? Like you know what kind of bull you have after it's gored someone to death. And you're like, you know what? It's probably fine grazing in the front yard. We don't need to shut the gate. Like it'll be okay, right? This is what I'm thinking in my head. Um, and then verse 30, I think is really interesting because I kind of looked at this. It says, if a ransom is imposed on him, then he shall give for the redemption of his life whatever is imposed on him. And the word here is kofer. And it means that a redemption price. And so what's really cool is that in the Old Testament, there's built in this idea that like um, somebody could, something could be in your place. So you deserve to die. And if it's family members said, listen, I know you just, your, your ox just gored my wife, but um, instead I'll just take a, I'll just take a check, please. And this is, you know, I need $1 million, please. Or you can die, you pick, right? But but they put in the scriptures that there's this ability for there to be um, something in our place, a redemption price that could be paid. And immediately I thought of Jesus paying the redemption for our souls and for our sin. So um, all that to say, today we're going to be getting into um, a part of the, of the Sermon on the Mount that talks about the Ten Commandments. And so we're talking about laws, and we're talking about how Jesus talked about these laws, and I actually really struggled with this passage because I feel like it's been abused a lot in the past. It's, it's been used to shame people, and I don't believe that shaming people is what changes people. Um, so this is a, a difficult passage that's been used in the past, and even in my life, like growing up, I just felt, always felt like I'm just the horrible person. I'll never be anything other than a sinner. Um, and there's a lot of truth to that that is woven into these scriptures. But I want us to, to see 
um, this passage. My goal is that as we, as we go through this passage, that looking at our sin and realizing the weight of our sin, it creates empathy towards other people, right? So it talks about here, we'll get into it, but um, we get self-righteous thinking, you know, we're the good ones, and we forget that we're pretty rotten inside as well. So that, in turn, should turn us towards empathy towards people. We see sinners, we see people doing horrible things. We're not just like, oh, those people need to die. We're like, yeah, that was, that was me too at one point, you know? So it should create empathy towards us. And then the second thing is that um, sometimes our love for Jesus grows a little cold, and we need to be reminded that um, only the blind see. The blind knew they needed something. They needed something they could not fix. They could not fix their blindness themselves, and they just came flocking to Jesus, blind, the broken, whatever. They were just like, we can't fix ourselves. We need a miracle. Um, And I feel like that is a good illustration for how we need to constantly be in our relationship with Jesus. It's like, God, I, I can't fix myself. I need you. I'm desperate. I'm desperate for you to show up and do something in my heart and in my life. Um, so that's the goal of this, is for us to, to land on those two and not just on, man, I'm a horrible person. Now I'm going to go home and celebrate Father's Day. Like, that's, that's not the goal of this. Um, so a quick recap of where we are in the scripture. Um, so I preached on blessed is the poor in spirit, right? You guys remember that? Um, Jesus' like, first sermon, um, and he goes out and he preaches, and just before he preaches, it's literally he's healing people, and everyone's just bringing the sick and the poor, and it's like the whole group of misfits are there, and he's preaching to them. The people who are wealthy and have jobs, the people, the, you know, the Pharisees, all the people who like, are the spiritual people, they're at home, they're in their work, they're not the people that are there. Um, it's all the unlikely characters are there, the people who are just like, well, listen, I don't have anything better to do, I'm out in a field. And he, and he Jesus turns and says, blessed are the poor, blessed are the poor in spirit, the spiritually broken. And their people are like, that's me. I'm blessed, I'm blessed, how is this possible, right? And people, you know, they're leaning in, listening, like, how could the kingdom of God be for me? So you just gotta set that, that's what's, what's there. And then Curtis spoke last week, he talked about, you know, he, Jesus says, well, you guys are going to be the salt and the light, right? Salt is something that was super valuable. You were valuable. So these people who have always been considered not valuable and not powerful, he's like, listen, you're valuable in the kingdom. You know, you're going to preserve. You're going to make an impact. People are going to, you know, light. People are going to see you. You're going to be significant. And these people are like, man, no one's ever talked to us like this ever, Right? Um, and then at the very end of uh, Curtis's passage, it goes, oh, there's one little, little caveat here. I just wanted to mention this, Jesus says, and this is what kind of intros my passage here. Uh, Matthew 5.20, he says, oh, just one little thing. I just I need to tell you this. Unless your righteousness ex- exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you're never going to enter the kingdom of heaven, right? Can you imagine to be sitting there, you're like, okay, so you just told us, like, us who are spiritually poor and broken and not doing anything, we could be poor and, like, we're important. And then, oh, by the way, you're never going to make it. You know, it'd be like, oh, well, kids, we're going to pack up our lunch. We're going to go home. I mean, I've heard enough. I bet there's, you know, like, go see if John the Baptist is still preaching. Maybe, you know, we can go talk to him, but I'm not going to make it. Well, it's really interesting because these, the Pharisees, you know, we, we think about Pharisees from our, like, 2,000 years later view of Pharisees as being, oh, yeah, we know those are the kind of stuck-up spiritual guys, right? But in their time, they're the spiritual leaders. They're their pastors, right? These are the people who are like doing it right. 
in their eyes, right? These guys were so careful to obey the laws that they were tithing off their spices. So they had a little cumin, a little thyme. I mean, they were like literally everything they had. If they found a coin on the ground, they'd be like, oh, I need to make sure 10% of that gets put. Like, I mean, they're literally to the T. In fact, there is a, uh, still to this day, Jewish people, um, on the Sabbath, they don't work, right? This is a very important thing. Well, they've got all these laws in order to make sure that they don't accidentally work on the Sabbath. In fact, one of them is you can't carry anything in public because that would be work. You know, if you were carrying two by fours, you'd be like, oh, he's working, right? Well, that makes sense, but they're like, you can't carry anything. So if your neighbor asks you over for a barbecue, you can't bring a lawn chair if you're Jewish. You can't bring food. If you cross out of your property, you're considered in public land, you can no longer, you can't carry anything. You can carry anything inside because that's not work. As soon as you, so what they do, and a lot of Jewish community, communities do this, if you may or may not know this, is like, they're like, well, if, what if we put a boundary around us and our neighbors, like a fence, then we would all be one property then we could carry stuff, right? So there's literally whole Jewish community, and they're like, well, what is a fence? Is it a wall? Well, you know, like a farm fence, it could be, you know, a barbed wire, right? Or, or maybe just electric fence. So what they do is they have a string, and they put it up like, like on a telephone pole, and they just have it go around this community, and they say, this is all our property together, and therefore now I can carry anything I want over to my neighbors. I can go to the swimming at their pool and I can bring my towel and I'm not carrying. And this is like, this is how the Jewish people thought about laws. They're like, we are going to come up with the laws and then we're also going to come up with a bunch of loopholes so we can obey those laws, right? This is how they understood spirituality in their day, right? It's a lot different than what we do, most of us. And Jewish people still are very much this way. Um, but what Jesus is doing here, and I'm going to use this word, he's, he's deconstructing the way they thought their spirituality should be worked out, right? He's looking at these people who are not law followers, and he's like, okay, I know you guys aren't real great at following the laws, but you have to be better than the, the, these Jewish leaders who are like doing it perfect, and they're just like, okay. And my thought here is it's, it's because these people who are here have been healed by Jesus. They've been given value. They're like, well, I don't know how, I don't know how I'm still in, but I'm willing to keep listening. I'm willing to see if he's did a miracle and changed my life physically, maybe he can do something spiritually for me, right? This is how I believe these people are just like, well, what does this mean? Let's, let's listen in. So here comes Jesus, and um, we're going to read our passage for today. Um, Matthew 5, 21 through uh, 37, and I'm just going to read all the way through it, and then we'll We'll dive in and, and chop this up here. So um, verse 21, it says, You have heard it said to those of old, he's talking about the Old Testament, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. Yeah, we, we, all, we all read that one. We're like, yep, I know that one. But I say to everyone, anyone who's angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. Whoever says you fool will be liable to the hell of fire. Get a little crazy here, God, Jesus. Um, if you're offering your gift at the altar and you remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. Be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with your accuser if you're gonna, going with him to court, lest your accuser hands you to the judge and the judge to the guard and you be put in prison. Truly I say to you, you will never get out of it till you've paid the last penny. 
Going on, 27, and if you've heard it said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you, everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it's better that you lose one of your members than the whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than your whole body goes to hell. Okay, <laughs> this is getting pretty... Uh, Pretty, uh, pretty heavy here. We got one more little section here, and then we'll dive in. Um, oh, a couple more sections here. It says, whoever divorces his wife, let him get her, give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you, everyone who divorces his wife, except on the ground of sexual immorality, makes her commit adultery. And whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Again, you've heard it said of those of old, you shall not swear falsely, but perform to the Lord what you have sworn. But I say to you, you shall... Do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not take an oath by your head, for you not can, cannot make one white hair or black. Let what you say be simply yes or no. Anything more than this comes from evil. And we're sitting here like, okay, this is like pretty heavy stuff. What does it mean, right? And what does it mean 2,000 years later, right? And, and so I'm going to try to chop this up to you and try to explain to you what, what I think he's saying here. Um, and I think we, we should really look deeply on this. I feel like Jesus is kind of holding a mirror up to us and be like, do you really see what you really look like, right? Like he, he wants us to really like take, it, take a look. He starts with do not murder, right? Everyone knows it's wrong to murder. And most of us probably can say, yeah, I can check that box off, that no murder. Good, let's move on to the next Ten Commandments. This is one of the Ten Commandments, right? And Jesus is like, oh yeah, be, before you do that, and I'm, I'm, I'm assuming in the crowd Jesus is preaching to, there's probably some people who are, actually are murderers, you know? And they're like, oh, dang it. I guess I'm out, you know? Um, and he's like, hey, wait, wait. Um, not only murderers are out, I'm going to tell you that anybody who's angry with his brothers, and I'm wondering, did Jesus have brothers that, like, he probably, he probably knew how brothers fight. But then you start thinking, well, well, who actually is my brother, right? So what does it mean by be angry your brother? Well, that's it. You've sinned. And uh, so we kind of have to, uh, you know, immediately our brain goes to like, you know, lawyer mode, right? It's same, they would do this back in those days. It says in the Bible to, um, that you should love your neighbor. And the Pharisees were like, well, they had this question with Jesus. They said, well, who is our neighbor? Like, I mean, is it the guy next to us? Is it two doors down? I mean, at what point are they no longer our neighbor, right? Is it across the street? Is it a block away? You know, and then Jesus tells the story of the great, uh, the good Samaritan and basically says, anybody you meet is your neighbor. And they're like, dang it, I can't get out of that, right? So we immediately look at this and be like, if you're angry with a brother, like, is it like my actual brother? Is it my brother in the Lord? Is it like my brother, fellow American? Like, so before we get into that, um, Bible also says, Ephesians 4.26, be angry and do not sin. So this idea of like, it's not just anger is what he's getting at. It's this idea of being angry and sinning, right? So there's a, a slight dif difference between just being angry and sinning. And I've been doing a lot of like my own work uh, with, a, with a counselor and like, you know, just sorting through some stuff. And I learn, have learned that anger is actually an emotion that's a valuable emotion. 
I was taught as a kid that you were never to be angry. You were never to have any negative emotions at all. In fact, you, you, get, you were sad. You were allowed to be sad for about 30 seconds. And then it was like, okay, that's enough sadness. You need to move on. No, no longer are we allowed to be sad anymore. And if you're angry, it was considered weakness. Like, oh, yeah, you're just going to let this get to you, you know? Um, but I've learned that, that anger is given to us by the Lord, and it's kind of like a dashboard light going off and saying something's wrong, like in your car when your oil light comes on. You're like, oh, something is definitely wrong here, um, and wants us to take notice of it. But it's what we do with that anger that's the problem, right? And a lot of times they say that anger is unprocessed emotion. So there's usually a deeper emotion behind the anger, and oftentimes it's fear. So you're afraid that something's going to happen, and it causes you to be angry. Um, you got hurt before, and you see something happening. You're like, oh, this is going to hurt me. I'm afraid this is going to hurt me, and now I'm angry. I don't know why I'm angry. I'm just angry, and I want to fight. Um, so it's not just being angry, but it's like, what do we do with that anger? And he's, he's taking, you know, murder and be like, yeah, we get murder's wrong, but behind murder, you know, there's something else. Uh, and then he goes on. I'm going to continue to go on and, and unpack this a little more. He says, uh, if anyone insults his brother, and in fact, the Bible actually contains a swear word here in the Greek, by the way, those of you guys who, you know, want to do it. Uh, the word is raka. Well, sorry, I just swore from the pulpit in Greek. Um, but that says in the Bible, it says raka, which means worthless. If you call somebody worthless, he says, um, you're liable to judgment. And uh, I mean, you're like, well, I don't, I don't think I say anybody's worthless. Like we start, like immediately we're like, yeah, I don't really do that, right? We're just trying to defend. Um, but what he's saying is that when you devalue another human, and you say, my value is a little bit more than yours, you have the seeds of murder in your heart. Do you see that? Um, and so he says, yeah. You think, you're, you think you're good. You think you got all of the boxes checked. And he's like, and, and you know, you sh- think through our own world, right? Think through things people say on Facebook and Instagram, right? You look at people who are different than us, who believe different than us, who act different than us, and are we taking their value and saying, hmm, I think I'm more valuable than them. Are they worth a little less than me, Right? Maybe somebody has a, a rainbow flag at their house, and you're like, yeah, mm-hmm, I know where they are at, right? We, we just, we go right to judgment on people um, as though we are God. And he says, you cannot take worth from another human being. Then he also goes on here and says, whoever says you fool, so you go, you're worthless. Okay, we won't say that. Okay, people are all worth value, great. But what about your fool? You're not as smart as me. You don't have quite all the information I have. I'm wise, and you're just foolish, you know? Right? You see, this is kind of like a slightly better than you're worthless. You're just foolish. Um, And we can be challenged by this because this is at the core of our society, right? Everyone's like, oh, I have the knowledge and you don't, so I'm going to tell you on Facebook, or I'm, you know, like, we're, we're just, we're so constantly, you know, trying to point out everybody's, um, everybody else's foolishness but our own, um, and Jesus is like, you're, you're doing the same thing. 
you're doing the same thing. And I think he wants us, I think if Jesus was here today speaking to us, he'd probably be saying, I want you to kind of deconstruct what you see. Some, a lot of the, not a lot of it, but Christian leaders, public leaders, you know, how they are acting um, and how they're saying, in the name of Jesus, I'm gonna be angry at these people. In the name of Jesus, I'm gonna, you know, yell and belittle these people, right? We see this all the time. And that's not how Jesus acted. In fact, Jesus loved the unlovely, right? He's speaking to a crowd of people that didn't belong. The people, the last people you'd see in church are sitting in front of him, and he's like, you're the salt of the earth. You're the ones who are blessed. 2,000 years later, we're like, yeah, we're the ones who are blessed. They're not. Like, we're the ones who are worthy. They're not. And our heart turns hard towards people. Um, I wrote uh, some things in here. So much hate and judgment is done in the name of Christianity. You know, we see the world broken and falling apart, right? And I think we get afraid. We, we feel fear, right? This world is going to hell in a handbasket, right? Like, like literally we see things going on and we feel fear. So how do we act? We act angry. People, when they think of the church, they think of Christians, they think, oh, those people are really angry. They're angry, angry at everybody else. Um, and we think Jesus is calling us to be good Christians, to stand up for what is right, and those things are good, um, but then we turn to hate on everybody who's doing it wrong, in our opinion, right? There's something to wrestle with here. Um, with, he says, you don't murder, but you have anger and hate in your hearts. This is not the way of Jesus. Um, and what is Jesus getting at? My first point here that I've been talking about here is that following the rules doesn't make you good, and it doesn't fix your heart, right? Um, we forget. Um, 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 11. I want to read this to you because this is what kind of came to my mind because um, this has both things in here, right? Okay, it says, Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Everyone says amen, Right? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, the idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And then we forget the next verses. And such were some of you. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. We don't identify with the brokenness. We, we try to insulate us. We're, I'm not really like that. And Jesus is like, you gotta, you were that way. I just fixed you. I worked on you. And now you should have empathy and love towards those who are broken in our world rather than anger and judgment, which we see so often. It's so much easier to do. Okay, I'm gonna move on. If that didn't make you squirm, ready for the next one? <laughs> Uh, it says in 27 through 31, you've heard it said you should not commit adultery. And people are like, yes and amen. But, sh but I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. And you're like, all right, can we just keep moving? Like, let's not stop there, right? Um, if your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. It's funny, they got these blind people. He's just healed their blindness. And he's like, hey, but if you're lusting... We go back to blindness, you're better off. Um, we'll get into that here in a second. I just think it's funny. Um, it's better that you lose one of your members than your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. 
For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body go into hell. It is also said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife, except on the ground of sexual immorality, makes her commit adultery, and whoever divorces a divorce, marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Okay, this whole passage needs a little bit of historical context, just so you guys know. Did you know that in Jesus' day, it was believed that men couldn't actually commit adultery? Not that they weren't physically able, but that wasn't considered adultery. As men were allowed to have um, extramarital affairs, and that was okay. It wasn't considered sin. But if a woman did, then she was to be stoned. That was That was the prevailing idea of the day. The only way a man would be in trouble is if he slept with someone else's wife and that husband didn't grant him permission to do so. That was the only time where a man was actually in trouble. Otherwise, everything else was fair game. Okay? And people, and so so people say, oh, don't commit adultery. And they're like, yeah, well, technically, I don't think it was adultery, right? That's what they're saying. And Jesus is like, okay, we're going to, we got to change this bar. Like, you guys have, like, put all these rules in place so you can uh, follow this rule. And he's like, this is not what I meant when I said do not commit adultery, right? So he's like, okay, it's more than just checking the box here. Um, but, uh, this is something in our, is so prevalent in our society. I mean, we have cell phones. We have the internet at the touch of our fingers. We have privacy. We can look lustfully, and nobody has to know. And then we can come to church and be like, I am a good person. I love Jesus. Nobody knows that I'm a sinner. And uh, Jesus is like, listen, you just look at a woman with lustful intent. And honestly, this is geared towards men. I, and I know that women can lust too, but... In a society where men have the power, um, they're the ones who are doing the abusing here, and oftentimes in our societies. Well, we, we see a lot of abuse by men. Um, I taught this with the youth, just so you guys know, and we were going through a book uh, by this guy named Sky Jathani, and uh, he's got these little, these little cool little drawings for each chapter, so I brought one for you guys to see. And I'm going to talk you through it the way, a little bit of the way uh, I talk through it with the youth, right? Okay, so it says, who's responsible for my lust? Uh, and this book was called If Jesus Was Serious, and his, his point here at the, is at the bottom in the blue, then lust is a choice. And um, so I'm gonna, I'll talk you through this, and then I'll get back to the Bible. So if we say, okay, the reason why I am lustful is the woman's fault. I mean, it goes right back to Garden of Eden, Adam's like, it was her, she's the one who did it, Right? You know, the woman was too pretty, and she dressed poorly, or whatever, right? Then our solution is, okay, like, let's stay away from women. Men, we'll have this club, we'll get together, we'll hang out, we will just not do anything with women ever, um, and that will solve our problems. And we're all like, yeah, that's not going to solve. Getting a bunch of guys together is not going to make them more holy, let's be honest, right? So then we say, okay, the problem is we live in this culture, We're going to break all our, you know, at the end of the service, we're going to bring all our cell phones up. We're going to smash them, you know. We're not going to be in social media. We're, you know, we're going to cut the internet off at our house, and we're going to, like, we're going to be away from culture completely, right? And then we'll be holy. Yeah, that's not going to, that's not going to work either. Um, In fact, I believe what Jesus was saying with the cutting, poking the eyes out and cutting your hands off, he was sarcastic. 
Yeah, yeah, you're going to cut your, you're going to poke your eyes out, and you're going to cut your hands off, and you're going to be sitting there, and you're like, and I'm just the most holy person now. Like, my heart is just so in love with Jesus, right? Like, that's not going to solve the brokenness in our heart, right? I, I feel like Jesus was like, it was like a nod to the Pharisees. The Pharisees were like, I know what we need. We just need to make some more rules, and then we'll be better. Like, if you lost, you cut your hand off, and then that solves the problem. Um, but here it says, if I'm responsible for my lust, then it's about a choice, and I need Jesus to transform my will. Um, the interesting thing that he says here is the word is, it says lustful intent. So it's different than saying, oh, I like saw a beautiful person. I thought they were beautiful. I thought they were sexy, whatever, right? Okay, that's not what he's talking about here. We, God made us sexual creatures. Sex is a gift from God. Those things are part of us. But he says, when you look at one with, sex, with lustful intent, and it implies a choice, it applies turning that into something else. Um, that's when that's when you've they crossed the line. That's when you've kind of committed adultery. And we're so like, I don't want to be identified as an adulterer. It's no more than I want to be identified as a murderer. But just as I said at the beginning, only the blind see. When we come to Jesus, we're coming like, yeah, Jesus, I've got these things all taken care of. We're like the rich young ruler. He's like, I followed all the rules. You know, and he's like, no, just come to me like the adulterer that you are, and we'll take care of your sin. You murderers, you come here. I, I think of it as this way, and we'll get to the end of here, but he's like, okay, I want, uh, we're going to come to the kingdom of heaven. I want all the uh, murderers in this line. I want all the adulterers in this line. And the last one is the, um, <laughs> what's the, the, the swindlers, you know, the liars and the thieves and everything. You guys are in this line. And then everyone else who's not in a line, you guys can go home. The kingdom of heaven is not for you. And people go, what, what, what's happening? He's like, we, we, all come to, we all come to Jesus broken, broken and hurt. A lot of the brokenness comes because brokenness has been done to us. A lot of people who are stuck in sexual addiction, alcohol addiction is because of sin that was done to them. So when we, it's not something we struggle with, we stand, we get up on our little high hill horse and look over and like, at least I'm not like them. And we don't realize that there's a reason why they've gotten to where they are. There's damage been done that Jesus needs to fix. So um, these rules, these things, need to lead us to empathy towards people and honesty before our God of where we actually are. And stop blaming everybody else for our sins and take responsibility. Yeah, I did it. I did it. I need you, Jesus. I need you just like the blind man needed someone to heal his his sight. I need you, Jesus. Okay, the last one here. Um, so that second, my second point there, I'm doing the points at the end, I don't know why, but uh, the upside down, how we treat people, in the upside down kingdom, how we treat people matters. Um, and the last one here, in the upside down kingdom, we must be truth tellers. Um, I think one of the things I like the most about my wife is that she is a truth teller. Those of you guys who know her, who are friends with her, she tells things like it is. Um, and uh, I have really appreciated it. Sometimes you don't want to know what she really thinks about your outfit or whatever, right? But I always know exactly where I stand. And um, it has been um, a very um, positive thing in our marriage. And um, I think that as Christians, I grew up 
in a society that would told us that, like, it's all about how you look on the outside, right? So you want to keep up appearance. So don't, you know, people come over, your house has to be perfectly clean and perfect, right? Because we don't want people to judge us and think of us poorly, you know? If there's sin or brokenness, we don't want anybody to see that. I mean, you go to you know, you go to weddings and everyone's like, oh, these bride and groom, they're the most perfect people in the whole world. You're like, wow, they're so perfect people. No one's getting up there saying, okay, well, here's a list of things they did in college that nobody's talking about, right? We, we, don't ha- we don't do that, but we have this, often in the church, this whole idea of like, let's just cover up the brokenness. The mission is more important than the people. You ever heard that? Um, so he goes here and he says, again, you've heard of said of those of old. This is Matthew 5, 33 through 37. You shall not swear falsely, but perform to the Lord what you've sworn. But I tell you, say to you, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it's the throne of God, or by earth, or its footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it's the city of the great king. And do not take an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. Let what you say simply be yes or no. Anything more than this comes from evil. So it's weird, but he's like, okay, we have all these little, they had all these ways in which they would like swear. And he had like specifically, oh, we're not supposed to swear by God? Great, we'll come up with these other things. Like, no, I gotta actually like, this one you can't swear by, you can't swear by. It's this whole like, looking at this whole wrongly, Jesus is addressing. Because in their day, they believed if you lied to somebody, but you didn't invoke God's name, wasn't a sin. So you could say, oh, yeah, yeah, this, you know, think of a salesman kind of selling you a vacuum. Oh, this vacuum's the best vacuum ever, whatever, and you sell it, and then you get it, and it doesn't work very well or whatever, right? And he's like, well, I didn't say that, I didn't swear by God, so, you know, it's not a sin, you know? That's what they believed. And so then they were like, okay, well, I don't want to invoke God's name just in case something goes wrong. I don't want to be liable, but I'll, like, say, oh, by, by the throne or by the by other things that are, like, close to God, you know? And this was a way to swindle people and to trick people and to get out of it so that they're not sinning but not telling the truth. And God's just like, Jesus is like, listen, we're a kingdom of truth tellers. We tell the truth. You know, Jesus is someone who tells the truth. We're representatives of Jesus. Um, and this may be, you know, this may be um, anywhere. It could be in your, in your work right? You know, you're at work. Um, I didn't even mention that in the anger things. He says, hey, if you, if you did something wrong to somebody and they're just going to take you to court, and you better settle before you go to court. It's like, I think of that as like in business, you know, you, you, you did something wrong in, in business and, and you're at work or your company against somebody else's company. You're like, you know what? We'll settle this in court, but you know you did something wrong. He, Jesus is like, just settle. Take care of it. We're truth people, we, we tell the truth about what we did. We own up to our mistakes. We take responsibility. Um, so as I wrap this up, I've been going along about the sin and the brokenness, and hopefully by now you're like, yeah, I mean, if nothing else, we've all lied, right? We've all been not truth tellers. But I don't want to leave. I don't leave. I want to leave us there. Um, in the upside-down kingdom, only the blind see. I'm going to read this story, uh, Luke 7, 36 through 50. Um, Jesus tells, and I just think that this is the heart of what we're getting at here, um, and I don't want to go without reading this. So 36 says, One of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him. 
And he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at a table. Just love, like, picturing what this whole scene was like, right? And behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment. And standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wipe them with the hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with ointment. Now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, this man were a prophet. He would have known what sort of woman this is who's touching him, for she is a sinner. There's all sorts of stuff, you know, in there that you can just read into who this lady is and what is she doing. And then he's thinking this in his head, and Jesus, like, knows and just, like, addresses it. And he goes, and Jesus, answer, Jesus answering him said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. He said, teacher, say it. A certain money lender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50, and they could not repay. He canceled the debt of both. Now which of them will love him more? And Simon answered, the one, I suppose, for whom they canceled the larger debt. And he said to him, you have judged rightly. Then turning to the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven. For she loved much, but he who is forgiven little loves little. And he said among themselves, who is this who even forgives sin? And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. You see, she gets it. When we minimize our sin, we minimize how much we love Jesus. It's not that the Pharisee had less sin. It's just he couldn't see it. He was blind. He was blind to his own sin, and the, and the woman who had a whole, whatever, we don't know anything about her story, and probably a lot of her, the reason why she was, she was probably someone who, um, would be considered an adulteress or, you know, and probably a lot of that, maybe she was part of like some sex trafficking, probably wasn't even all her fault, right? Like this, she may have been a product of her thing, but she knew the brokenness and it caused her to, to know how much she's been loved, how much she's been forgiven and she didn't care. And, and that love is what um, we see here and Jesus has pointed it out. And you think in this story, who would we be in this story? You know, we're reclining at our table, eating the good food, saying, what are you doing, Jesus, talking to the, the prostitute or the whatever, you know? What are you doing? Don't you know I'm the good one? You see, Jesus, before all of this, he made this little statement that we read, we read past and we moved on. He said, I didn't come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. And in the Old Testament, uh, when people would sin, they would uh, go to the temple and they would bring, you guys know this, but they'd bring a, a pure spotless lamb, like something that didn't have a broken leg or a misshapen, you know, ear or whatever, right? It's got a, a nice, perfect lamb, something that was valuable. And they would take him to the priest and they would lay their hands on it. They, they would confess their sins and then they would lay their hand on it. And that laying of the hand was was denouncing that this lamb is my representative, okay? So 
I put my hand on the lamb, and I said, this is my representative. And then they take the lamb into the temple close to, to God, and they sacrifice it in, it in your place. And so they, when they're aware of their sins, they would take their sins, right? And Jesus says, I came, I came to be your representative. I came to be the spotless lamb. I lived the perfect life so I would be pure and I could be your representative. And you can put your hand on me saying, this is my representative God for me, him in my place. And that's what Jesus did on the cross when he died for our sins. And in a few minutes here, we're gonna take communion and we actually get to put our hand, sounds weird, on the body of Christ. They said the, the bread represents the body of Christ, and we put our hand on the body of Christ, and we say, Jesus in my place. Right? So, what is God calling you to do today? First, we gotta admit our own brokenness, our own sin, even with having Jesus in our hearts. You know, we don't all often take God's laws and his things seriously enough, but that's not where we stop. We also, as we look around at the people around us, we have empathy for them because that's just like us. And we can love on people, the unlovely, the people who are different or broken or sinful. I mean, even politicians, even politicians who have things that we don't, don't like, there's no reason to be angry and hateful towards people who are made in the image of God. And then we desperately come to God and say, I need you every day, God. I need you to, to pay for the, my price for my sins, and then every day I need your spirit in my heart helping me to see my brokenness and to follow you, not my desires. <sighs> this has been a tough one to work through in my own life, and I, and I hope as you go from here, there's time in your week, time in your day, just to kind of reflect on this and let God do his work. Um, we have a good God, and he loves us so much. He didn't leave us. He didn't leave us in our sin and our brokenness. He said, the least of these, line up. Let's get you in the kingdom of heaven. Let's pray. Dear God, we thank you that you are so good to us, that you love us, and we get things wrong so often, and um, you still love us and you still pursue a relationship with us, God. We thank you that you came, you lived the perfect life and died in our place, Lord. And help us as we live our lives to not live in judgment of other people, but that we would have your heart in our heart. In the name of Jesus, I pray, amen.